today is the third installment of a series that we're calling the Inspired Church. Amen. And, and I've entitled today's message, the members of Jesus's body or members of Jesus's body. Now, there are multiple people in this room and you are all bringing in your experiences. And so no doubt that this message is going to speak to every one of your hearts and minds in many different ways. But there are two people in general I just kind of want to put on notice. Are you ready? I want to speak to two people in general. Number one, for some, are you ready? Today's message may call for repentance. Can we normalize being okay with repentance? Right, can we just take a moment and say, God, it's good. It's good, to, it's good to be called into repentance. Like conviction is good, right? Like some of us, it's very difficult. We've come from previous places and spaces. We experience traumas in our lives and any type of negative or even correction, it just feels hard to receive. I'm one of those, it's hard to receive it sometimes. You have to, be, you have to package it very gently with me. And so, uh, and I'm not a gentle guy, so it's so funny. I give it crazy, but yeah, I need, so I need to practice that. But my point is, it's like, but repentance is a good thing. Amen. And so the Holy Spirit may gently, or he may, you know, maybe a little harder, uh, uh, convict you about how you've been interacting with the church, okay? And that's okay. For others, uh, today's message might provide what I'm calling like a moment of illumination. What do I mean by that? Like maybe previous church experiences have blinded you. Like just you've come in, your eyes are shut, and you need to open your eyes and see. Or maybe some of you in here have just never dug into the New Testament text and the scriptures, kind of have this like surface understanding of the Bible. And so you may actually come into awareness of things that you didn't know exist. And I mean this with all due respect, but there's just a kind of ignorance in terms of you just haven't been exposed to it. You haven't seen it for yourself and you might see things in a way you never saw before. Amen. But and here's, here's the thing. Either way, after today's message, um, I, I hope you will, well, I know, and I hope you will be held accountable for how you view the church and how you determine to participate in the life of the church. Amen? So for the last couple of weeks, if you notice, we've only been using small portions of scripture. It's going to be the same today. And I'm going to come from Romans chapter four, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verses four through six. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. We'll have it up here for you on the screen as well. But Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. And I'll read it to you. It says this. For as in one body, we have many members. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually members of one another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. I love this. Let us use them. And actually, that's the first part of verse six. There's more to it, but I'm going to stop there. I love that. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. Amen? So my task today, this morning, my task before all of us is to provide both a theological and practical overview of what it means, are you ready, to be one body composed of many members with different gifts for one another. So I'm going to give you a theological and practical overview of what it means to be one body, many members, 
different gifts for one another. One body, many members, different gifts for one another. Amen? So let's dive in. We are one body in Christ. Amen? And I told you this in week one, the qualifications for being a member of the body of Christ is not a covenant. It's not a membership class. The qualification for membership into Christ's church is the confession that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Amen. And not only the confession that he's the son of God, but are you ready? But a life lived out in response to that confession, in alignment with that confession, so that there would be visible fruit being produced out of your life of the Lordship of Jesus. Otherwise, he's not Lord. So when Paul says one body, are you ready? He's not referring to a particular church. Did you know that? When Paul says one body, he's not referring to a particular church but a universal reality that exists right now, both in heaven and on earth. One body, when he says that, it's a universal reality that exists right now on earth and in heaven. This theology of the universal church, this theology of the people of God everywhere, all time, all places, even those in the presence of Christ right now. The universal church, this understanding of the universal church, are you ready? It helps safeguard us from two dangerous temptations. Can I tell you what they are? Amen. Two dangerous temptations. Universal church right now on earth and heaven. Are you ready? Temptation number one a kind of cultish loyalty to a self-centered church. Amen? I have ever like it, us, like it's it's all gonna happen through us, it's us, we're gonna do it, we're gonna change, it's us, it's our church, it's our church name, it's our brand. I know churches that have called other churches to to, and sent them cease and desist letters because they have the same name. Because it's about branding. In fact, we got a call a long time ago, we planted Inspire Church, somebody's wondering why we were copying someone's name. A kind of culture slow. Tell me, like, man, it's gonna happen to us. Like this city, God called us. Like Union City doesn't get revival until you know Inspire Church does something, right? This is a a a cultish kind of. And here, let me just say this: I'm not against prophetic words. I believe God moves through prophetic words. I believe God. It, I, fires start in logs. Like I get it. But there's a mentality that is perpetuated where people walk in a kind of arrogance that also breeds suspicion of other churches. Right? Like even back in the day, and even now, it's kind of weird when you visit a church, right? You kind of call it, hey, pastor, just so you know, I'm going to be at this church. I'm going to be at Glory Church this Sunday. And if you see me on their Instagram, like, you know, but there's like such an anxiety, right? And I get it. Like, this is the member, you're members of Inspire. And so there's a, there's a commitment there. But there's like this weird concept of feeling weird at being in another place, being suspicious. Are you with me? So as I was reading and preaching, not getting ready to preach to you, I was preaching this message to myself. I determined to wake up this morning and pray. And when I prayed this morning, I determined to pray for Resonate in Hayward and Fremont. I prayed for the movement in Oakland. 
I pray for Living Stones in Union City. I pray for Creekside in San Leandro. I pray for Quicksilver in San Jose. True North in Palo Alto. Current in Mountain View. I pray for Redwood Chapel in Castro Valley. CWC. Restore 22. Reality San Francisco. Collide City Church. I pray for Templo de la Cruz. Victory Outreach. Templo Betania. Project Church. Bridge of Faith. Different expressions. Different denominations. Different networks. Some even with different theological leanings but let me remind you there is only one body one spirit one hope one faith one baptism and one God yes I prayed for them but I also prayed to remind me that God is up to something bigger in the bay even though inspire is a part of it it's not about us And what I realize, self-centered churches get that way because they have self-centered pastors and leaders. Number one, I'm out of breath. I'm closing some rings. <laughs> the theological understanding of the universal church um, helps dispel a kind of cultish loyalty to a self-centered church. Amen? Number two, what's the second danger? It also helps combat a kind of Christian nationalism. You might be asking me, well, what's Christian nationalism? Let me explain it to you. And you'll be like, oh, yeah. What does it mean by that? A kind of Christian nationalism, are you ready? That so ameshes the values of Christ with the values of country that you can no longer tell the difference between the mission of the church and the culture wars. And I use this example. If I hear God, guns, and country one more time, I may just have to jump into a real, I don't know, I was just going to say something stupid. and I, I don't know. I'm just going to get angry. How about that? Like you're not going to find that mantra in scripture. Now, if you do use that mantra, God bless you, okay, that's your thing, and you have a pride, I get it, okay, like, I, I don't, I love my country, but you cannot fuse together the words of God and the words and mantra of country and believe that that's the will of God. Nowhere will you find Jesus saying, God, guns, guns, disciples, and country, it's just, and I'm picking on United States, but if we were in another country, I, whatever they were saying, I would say that too. Every country has to deal with kind of nationalism. Right. Some of you are like, I got a shirt that says that. Well, God bless you. Like, God bless you. Just know, and, and look, I realize that I may offend people. I get it. But just know, like, wear it lightly, understanding what you're doing. Right. Okay. If you're not careful... We can become in danger. Are you ready? You want to hear the danger? Here's what we can do. We decentralize the global church and we centralize our country of preference in the plan of God. My good friend, Pastor Edward Paz said this, God is more concerned about sanctifying the church than he is about saving America. 
you know that? And if it takes things falling apart to beautify the church, guess what? He will. Because his promises are not to this country. They're to the church of Jesus Christ. Now this may bother some, but God loves his church more than he loves this country. He loves the underground churches of China and Asia. He loves the persecuted churches of Afghanistan and Iran. So we pray for revival in South and Central America. And we pray for the churches in Africa, Europe, and Australia. And yes, we pray for the church in the United States of America. And we wake up to the realization that you and I as Christians have more in common intimately with believers of other nations than we do with citizens of ours. soapbox lastly the body of christ includes those who are not with us anymore amen those who have gone to glory those billions of innumerable saints those who the who the writer of hebrews calls are you ready the glorious cloud of witnesses that are probably like preaching pastor right now The glorious clouds of witnesses that have entered into their rest, that are in the presence of our king. There there are those that are faithful, good, and faithful servants. You have ran your race. You won the prize. Amen? The body of Christ is not limited to a time or a place, but it's the universal reality of God's church that exists. Are you ready? On earth and in heaven. Can we just stop and admire what a glorious body? Now I feel kind of weird to say that. <laughs> what a glorious body. <laughs> we admire bodies, don't we? <laughs> what a beautiful, glorious, well built, fit, perfectly put together body. Amen. <laughs> But, number two, are you ready? This one body is composed of many members. Many members. It's an intricate network of singular organisms. And I had to look that up to make sure that was right. It's you. It's me. It's the person sitting next to you who has given their life to Jesus. Amen? It's living stones individual parts unified in christ yet diversified in personality background experience skin pigmentation but here's my burden here's my pastoral burden because of consumerism and really individualism we've depreciated the value and biblical reality of church membership And we have formulated faulty conclusions because we have been shaped by the world and not by the word. As a result, when we hear church membership, we think Costco cards and not body parts. We bring our westernized understanding of the word into the word, and we think gym memberships, social clubs, and season passes. 
crazy. I've seen softball leagues require more than some churches. And I've seen some people give more to their gyms than they do to their church. There's hope, though. There's hope for us sinners. Guilty as charged, guys. Can I just say, I'm the first one. It's, I'm with you. I'm guilty. I know, like, oh, gosh, you're hitting me off. Did you see my Instagram this week, Phil? Yes, I did. Um, I, I'm guilty. I'm guilty as charged. I'm with you. I'm guilty. I've done all those things. So let's just, we all are guilty, okay? Before you start looking at people, I'm guilty. We're guilty. You're guilty. Guilty as charged. But here's the good news. We can repent. We can look at Jesus and see what he's done, and we can reorient our hearts around what the word says. And what does the word say? Are you ready? We are members of a body, not a consumeristic culture, but anatomical parts. And if we took serious members of a body, are you ready? We'd start to take more serious the dangers of distancing and disconnection. You with me here? We'd realized that for 16 months, we were spiritually amputated in the pandemic. That Satan was busy, is busy, and will continue to be busy surgically trying to dismember you wow. from on. the body of Christ. Surgically, with precision. Yes. Wow. Like a psychopath. <laughs> you watch those horror shows, just dismemberment, right? That's just, I'm sorry. I didn't say it at the 9 a.m. It was live, but you know, like a psychopath. <laughs> I mean, we came back from this pandemic. Look around you, body parts are missing. They're missing. You know, in the heat of this pandemic, when we were, you know, I don't know, there's different words for it. There's lockdown that feels terrible. You know, stay at home orders, you know, it feels a little better. But in the heat of that, while that was ongoing, did you miss some things? Right? I could begin to long and miss for things, right? Like, you know, I miss just going to a restaurant. It's like we took certain things for granted. Like, I just want to go out and sit down and eat. We missed that, right? Some of y'all miss Disneyland. I pick on Disneyland in this church because we a lot of y'all love Disneyland. <laughs> so people are already wearing it too. Like, yeah, we've heard this for you, you know, right? We miss Disneyland. I mean, I don't know about you, but I miss haircuts <laughs> and my wife missed them for me too. You know, poor thing. I like, wake it up. It's all, you know, <laughs> but you want to know what I miss most? I miss being in the presence of the body of Christ. And I, I, the moment I wrote this, I could hear some of you. Well, yeah, of course you're right. That fits there. You know, you're the past. You're the pastor. <laughs> of course you're gonna say that. <laughs> like, come on, don't lie. Right? I'd say, I know you're gonna say that one. I know you're going with this. Some of you are so good, you already know where I'm going. And, and, and so, as a result, some of you might even be dismissing me right now because I'm the pastor. Like that's what I'm supposed to say. But if you're thinking that, can I just say this very politely? <laughs> you don't know me. That was like a cool way of saying it, but like, you don't know me. You don't know me. You don't know my story. 
you must have never sat down and asked what my story was before I was called to be a pastor. You don't know that in my early 20s, in my bedroom alone, God doing deep things in me, leaving a worldly lifestyle, to how I was reading through the text in Ephesians and the body of Christ and the church became so alive to me. You don't know that before I ever had to be here, I wanted to be here. You didn't see me in my 20s when I was at the church every day, not getting paid just because I needed to be in the presence of the body of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. There were no incentives. Thank you, God. It was just me desperately needing to run to the house of God. You didn't see me in my bedroom when I opened up the text and I got a revelation of the body of Christ through the word. You only see me now. And you only know that nothing has amputated me. And so you think it's because I'm a pastor. Let me tell you something about the revelation of the body of Christ. I wrestled with sharing this part because it's going to come off a little legalistic to you. It's going to sound controlling. You're going to be a little triggered by this. But I also realized that the reason why some of those things are there is because we've been westernized, individualized, consumerized. Can I tell you what happens? When you don't get a revelation of the body, a few things. Stay with me. Number one, Christians can think it's fine to attend church indefinitely without actually being a participant in the body. You can just go every Sunday. That's it. I know. Seatbelts, all of those things happening right now. Number two, when you don't have a revelation of the body, are you ready? Christians don't integrate their Mondays and Saturday lives with the lives of other Christians. Number three, they're going to sting. Here we go. When you don't have a revelation of the body, Christians assume that they can make a perpetual habit of being absent from churches' gatherings on Sundays a few times a month. Right? So we attend monthly. That one hurt a little bit, yeah? And I can hear us, we're debating, arguing, that's not, I'm, look, church attendance doesn't save you, okay? I'm not questioning your salvation. I'm just questioning the revelation of the body. What about number four? Christians make major life decisions without considering the effects of those decisions on the family of relationships in the church or without consulting the wisdom of leadership and other mature members to pray. You know why we make big decisions here? Because of money, because of dreams, because of goals and aspirations that are dipped in consumerism, but not in the word. Can you feel it? We're in the Bay Area. That's why this is going to hit hard. Can you feel it? I shouldn't have planted in the Bay Area. Like I should have planted in a place where, you know, prices are cheaper. You know what I mean? Like God send me to a place where homes are like $100,000 and they're bigger than, you know, all of our homes put together. Very tough. And I often tell people, you got to be really called to stay here. You really do. You really do. 
It's tough, and I get it, and I give you permission to go, and I, I, I pick on the movers lately. I get it, and if you, you know, I know it's, but I'm just saying, right? Like, could you, what if we raised up believers before they made big decisions, their first responses or decision-making conclusions wasn't based off of consumerism or any of those elements? What if Christians said, I'm not going to buy the big house, and I'm going to sacrifice and lose my life? Because I feel called to the bay. I don't know. Okay, moving on. Number five. Christians, and this is buy homes or rent apartments with scant regard for how factors such as distance and cost will affect their abilities to serve the church. You see how I struggle with this, by the way? I don't know if I want to put this list out. You know, it's like, gosh, what are you running here, a cult, Pastor Phil? <laughs> but it's just a revelation of the body of Christ. Number six, Christians don't realize that they are, and this is probably the big thing. Are you ready for this? Christians don't realize, I love that, they don't realize that they are partly responsible for both the spiritual welfare and the physical livelihood of the other members of their church. You know, when you're not here, when you're not around, when you're distanced and unattached, it's just not about you. People wonder. And I know you're, oh, well, they gossip. No, 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 no. When I have a dinner table, my family comes around the dinner, and one of their sons or daughters is not there, I notice. It's not gossip, that's love. Some people gossip. <laughs> Some people gossip. But it's love. It's love. We notice, we see, we sense, we feel. You know, so we don't know how to receive that kind of love. We don't know how to receive that kind of love. We don't realize you mean a lot. You mean a lot. I mean, if you don't think, if you think body part and not Costco card, you can see how you're not just a number. You see that? You guys feel that? When you think amputation, dismemberment, do you feel that? I don't know. Maybe that's too New Testament for us. Finally, one body, many members. with different gifts. I love that. And you ready? For one another. Isn't that crazy? Like traditionally when you get a gift, like that's for me. That's my gift. In fact, if we get a gift and give it to someone else, we call that a re-gift, <laughs> right? Like in our culture, that's not a good thing to do, right? Some of you have baby shower. You still have gifts from your baby. He's like 10 now, right? You still got gifts unopened because you got so many. You're like, well, if I re-wrap this, then someone takes a picture. It was 10 years ago, but hey, didn't I give that to, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but we re-gift in the body of Christ because when Christ gives gifts, he gives gifts for you, through you, to one another. He's so creative. He's so ingenious. And he didn't give you a gift and not give this person a gift so that you can compete. 
or compare or be insecure or rivalry or I wish I had that or I wish I could do this. That wasn't Christ's intention. He gave you different gifts so that you would have a gift that she doesn't have and that she would have what you don't have. Not so that you could compete, but so that the body can complete. And so that there would be an interconnected neediness in the family of God. Do you see why Jesus diversified the gifts? Listen, I need you and you need me. And some of you might be saying, no, you don't. You're the pastor. That's because you bought into not a biblical reality, but a pop culture where this is the star. And you know what? I don't blame you because, you know, we got the lights on me. We got cameras. Everyone's looking at me. I mean, geez, how do we not? Yes. Like we create stars. We just do that. We, you know, we lift me up a little bit. But if I come down, and actually we did this a couple of months ago, actually, not a couple months here, a couple of, maybe a year, two years ago, there was one day where everyone walked in and there was all kinds of circle tables in this room. Right. Do you remember that? And I might have said a couple of things, but the body of Christ was ministering to each other. I wouldn't have to prepare sermons as much if we could do that. It's a beautiful idea. But you know, I need you and you need me. And if you don't believe that, it's because you bought into this, like, well, he must be a hero. And can I say, God forbid, I'm in a church that doesn't pray for me, that doesn't check in on me, that doesn't ask me how I'm doing. There are many of you in here that say, how are you doing, pastor? Thank you. Thank you. Not a hero. I'll fail you. My marriage isn't always the best. You understand? It's not always easy. I need you. You need me just as much as we need Jesus. I don't know. Does that sound heretical? I was like, well, I need Jesus more than I need any of (laughs) y'all. You know, give me Jesus. That's all I need, right? Our songs, give me Jesus, right? Which is beautiful and great and good. We need him. He is the lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. He has brought us in, connected us to the father, brought us back into his presence, forgiven us with it. And and, and his blood is floating, connects. So I I get that. But I also want to say is that, did you know Jesus isn't here right now? Do you know that? It's like, well, wait a minute. He's in my heart. <laughs> no, he's not. The Holy Spirit is here. Jesus is in his body. Did you know that? He's in his glorious body right now. In heaven. The right-hand side of the Father is interceding for you. But the Spirit is here. But you know who is here? The body of Christ. The many members of parts are here. We are. Y'all see how that works? Thank you. So let me contextualize all of this. Y'all ready? Okay, I see theologically the, the one body and I see the many parts. Like, let me practically break this down at Inspire Church. Why we do some of the things that we do, okay? You'll notice at Inspire Church, we practice formal membership, right? Don't we? Formal church membership, which means to be a member of Inspire Church, you go through a class. In fact, today, instead of an altar call, we have a class you can sign up for. How do you like that? All right, moving forward. <laughs> but we have a formal class that you go through. Some of you are already like, I'm out, <laughs> right? The minute it got formalized, formalized class. And then after that class, you sign a covenant in your blood, 
I'm just kidding. You don't, you don't do that. A pen, a pen, a pen, a pen. I promise. <laughs> but do you ever wonder, like, why do they do that? Or do you ever take it and still kind of feel a little weird? Like, what am I getting myself into? Some of you are like, you've been around at churches. Like, yeah, okay, we've done this before. Some of you are like, whoa. Why do we require you to take a class, sign a covenant, go through a process? And why in that covenant do we require a promise, a commitment? Some of you went through the class. Do you remember the commitment? Don't worry, I'm not going to test you. It was a commitment to attend, a commitment to give, a commitment to serve, and a commitment to connect. It was a very basic way of explaining it. A commitment to attend on Sundays, a commitment to give generously and regularly to this local church, a commitment to serve with your gifts, talents, abilities, a commitment to connect relationally with the body. Y'all remember that? Why do we do that? Where's that in the Bible? In Acts 2, 41, 3,000 accepted Jesus. They were baptized and were told in scripture that they added to their number that day. Somebody was keeping score. Somebody was counting. In Acts 2, 44, you know what they did with that 3,120? We're told that they met together regularly in temple courts. And then they met in small groups in homes to pray, eat, teach, and have a good time. It's right there in the text. Then we're told in Acts 4, verse 4, that 5,000 more were added, and that was just the men that they counted. The record kept growing. Then in Acts 5, we're, we're told that certain church members were disciplined. They were rebuked. They were corrected. The church in Acts 6 conducts a membership meeting because the widows were being overlooked. There were certain widows that were being overlooked and they needed to create a plan and raise up more leaders, deacons, so that the underserved can be served and so that the pastors can focus on prayer and the word. Fascinating. Do you know that? By Acts 8, the church is being scattered because guess what? Big bad Saul is now going into homes. He got a hold of that list. <laughs> and he's finding where these members live and he's persecuting them. And the church now begins to run and flee out of Jerusalem. Scary, but what, you know what happens by Acts 13? Local church plants pop up everywhere. Mm. All over Syria, Asia Minor, including cities like Der Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and Pisidian. And then by Acts 15, we see the churches we recognize. Philippi is planted. Thessalonica is planted. The Berean church, which Paul says, I wish everyone liked the Bereans. Y'all study the word, is planted. Corinth is planted. Ephesus is planted. We begin to see letters written to these local bodies meeting together. Wow. Not only do local churches exist, but they practice a kind of formal membership, an outward, visible expression of an invisible reality. So why do we practice formal membership at Inspire? 
Well, for us, we believe it's an outward expression of a spiritual truth. Members of a body. We believe these practices, attending, giving, serving, connecting. We believe these practices, are you ready? Are visible witnesses. Countercultural to the consumeristic culture of our world. And finally, we believe that these practices hold us accountable to Christ's commands in his word. Isn't that fascinating? Right? I mean, there are many, but I'm going to give you two large ones. Two uh, uh, commands of Christ to his church in the word. Are you ready? Number one, Christ commands us to submit to one another. Do you know that? We're commanded to love one another in John 13, honor one another in Romans 12, bear one another's burdens in Galatians 6, comfort one another in 1 Thessalonians 4, encourage one another in 1 Thessalonians 5, exhort one another in Hebrews 3, stir one another up in Hebrews 10. We're called to confess to one another in James 5, pray for one another in 1 Peter 4, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in Ephesians 5. One another in the context of the body of occurs hundreds of times and there are 59 individual one another's and they're repeated i mean how do you obey those commands unless there's a body can't do that by yourself i mean just the idea of one another means oh it's not you it's all of us how can you love pray exhort sing with how can you do those things without a local unified body So we're commanded to submit to one another. Second thing, we ain't going to like this. Take a couple steps back. We are commanded to submit to local church leaders and elders. Do you know that? Do you know throughout the New Testament, and I'm actually going to preach on eldership in two weeks. Next week, Pastor Roger is going to preach on the sacraments of the church. But did you know that throughout the New Testament, the apostle Peter and Paul command local churches, ready, to establish elders and overseers. And I'll give you an example. In Hebrews 13, 7, the church is commanded to, are you ready? Obey your leaders and submit to them. (laughs) I love this. Are you ready? For they are keeping watch over your souls. Mm. Wow. And here's a heavy part for me. They're keeping watch over your souls, but just in case a leader wants to go crazy and abuse the sheep, it says, as those who will give an account. God says, on that day when you stand before me, elders will be judged on a whole different level. You know, when you get to heaven, you stand before, you're going to be judged, but you're not going to be held responsible for the church. I am. And I don't say that cocky, arrogant, I don't even want you to feel bad for me. I want you to know that this is what I stand in. I'm responsible for how this church was ran. I'm responsible. We are responsible. The elders are responsible. Those men that we raised up, we voted in, that we see as pastors, we are going to stand before the Lord and give an account for how we shepherded this flock 
how we guarded your souls, how we created a system and an institution that either stirred you up for discipleship or stirred you up towards something else. And just when I'm like, man, God, I don't know if I can do this. He writes this in just for, for us. He says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Let them do this with joy and not groaning. For that would be no advantage to you. You see that? Don't you just love the local church? <laughs> Some of you are like, well, after that one, I love the local church. I love the local church. What other institution on the face of this planet creates regular spaces for you to practice and be held accountable to the commands of Christ? What other institution? I'll wait. Give me one. Your work? Is your boss going to hold you accountable to the commands of Christ? Are your coworkers going to check on your holiness? Is it your school? What other institution? What a beautiful institution. A flawed institution, but a beautiful institution established on this earth. We're not a club. We're not a service provider. We are not a labor union. We're not a political party. We're not even a religious interest group that likes to meet and study the Bible. We are members of Jesus' body. And as Inspire Church, we are committed to your discipleship and your growth in the word. And so the systems we do our best to create are those that will hold you accountable so you could stand before Christ that day and receive eternal glory. Wow. Wow. There's going to be some people who get in and are with Christ forever. And it's going to be beautiful. But you never committed to a church. And you're going to feel some of this thing of all the things that God had laid out for you to accomplish. But because you were so busy chasing your own stuff. Wow. Your salvation isn't on the line here. But it's the mission of God, the work of God, the call of God, the sanct your sanctification, your growth. I want to finish with a word from author and pastor Jonathan Lehman. And then we're going to respond. What a time of worship, time of singing. Are you ready? Thank you. Here we go. He says this, truth be told, people are not afraid to submit. They just want to submit to beauty. Like a valiant hero who submits himself to rescuing the damsel in distress. What's unexpected about Christianity is that its hero doesn't risk all for a damsel, but for what the Bible likens to a harlot. Then he calls everyone that he saves to submit themselves to this same harlot, the bride still being made ready, the church. That's what people are scared of. That's why people avoid membership. It's easy to submit to beauty and difficult to submit to ugliness. Yet, Christ, love, wonderfully transforms ugly into beautiful. 
And if we are called to be like Jesus, our love for one another should do the same thing. Help ugly become beautiful. Hmm. Can I say that one more time? And if we are called to be like Jesus, our love for one another should do the same thing. Help ugly become beautiful. Are you a member of Jesus' body?